911. What's the city of your emergency? Strongsville, Ohio. We have people on the way already. What's the address? We're blazing starter. I think someone killed my wife. You think someone killed your wife? Yeah, there, it looks okay, like she has stab wounds on her back. We've had people trying to break sir, in our house sir, all year. Sir, I understand, Steal sir. I just got in the door with my new son-in-law. My son was okay, here with her. Sir, yeah. if you don't, I think you she, can start CPR. I don't think she's, her face hit the ground and there's blood, there's a but pool of blood. see if she's breathing? No, she is not. Do you think as you as can I got start in. CPR? No. Okay, what I want you to do is I want you to go outside. Everyone in the house, go outside and wait in the front, okay? Welcome back, Donuts. Welcome to another episode of Fried Dough, your weekly fix of true crime. I'm your girl, Gina, and I always want to remind listeners that the stories that I cover on this podcast may be difficult to hear. However, it is very important to shine a light on these cases and remember the victims who were affected. That 911 call you just heard at the beginning of the episode is Bruce Peleskovich calling 911 for his wife, Melinda Peleskovich, on October 23rd, 2017. In a chilling turn of events that shocked the community, the life of Melinda Peleskovich, a dedicated school teacher, took a tragic and horrifying turn in October 2017. Mark Scullin, her daughter's fiance unleashed a violent assault, stabbing the 49-year-old educator over 35 times and firing three bullets into her body. Join me as I delve into the harrowing details of this heinous crime, exploring the events leading up to the faithful day and the aftermath that left the community grappling with the unimaginable. This is Fried Dough, true crime podcast, and this is Murder in the Suburbs. The case of Melinda Peleskovich. Melinda Peleskovich was born January 6, 1968, to George and Opal Shulman of Strongsville, Ohio. As a child, she was surrounded by a loving family and friends. As an adult, she got her bachelor's degree of science at Baldwin Wallace College. Melinda met Bruce Peleskovich and later got married and had three children. Megan, Anna, and Kyle, who was born with Down syndrome. Later, Melinda started teaching sixth grade in Strongville Middle School. All of her students loved her. They all described her as spontaneous, kind, caring, always smiling, trustworthy, and always open for a friendly hug. Melinda was very devoted to her children, and she kept them active in school events as her herself was the soccer coach of the team in her area. Melinda was just a happy, supportive person, and that didn't change when her daughter Anna found her first boyfriend, Jeffrey Scullin. Jeffrey was well-liked by all of his classmates, and he appeared to be highly intelligent. When Anna and Jeffrey were both seniors, they became student mentors. That was kind of like a high thing to be a student mentor. What that entailed was that they would take the younger students around and take them under their ring until they pretty much got their footing in school. Jeffrey was especially good at easing their anxieties about making them laugh. That was just his personality. So in 2015, Anna and Jeff were both 18 years old and Jeff decided to ask Anna to marry him. And she gladly accepted and the whole family was excited about this. 
and they became even super excited when they found out that Anna and Jeff were going to have a baby. Melinda herself was through the roof. The day Melinda found out that Anna was pregnant, she started trying to figure out names that she wanted the baby to call her, and she settled on Grammy. And since Anna and Jeff were engaged and were about to have a baby, Melinda and Bruce decided to allow Jeff to move into their basement to help with Anna's pregnancy and so they can save for the wedding, which was dated to be on October 28, 2017. Soon as Jeff moved in, a lot of strange things started happening. Like one night, Anna was at home, she was pregnant, and she was there by herself, and she caught somebody peeping through the window, and they ran off. Then Bruce and Melinda was in their backyard on their patio, and they saw some boys on a hill looking down directly at them, and they ran off. So Bruce chalked it up as some kids just having fun, and it really wasn't a big deal. So now, since that really wasn't a big deal, things started happening in the house. And what happened was, first, it was money that started coming up missing. First, it was something little like ones and $5 bills from dressers and drawers. Then the money was coming up missing from wallets. And then sometimes the whole wallet would turn up missing. Only to later show up in crazy places like under the bed, between mattresses, in the back of a closet. And this was going on for a few months. So now what happened next was Melinda's car keys came up missing. Luckily, she had a spare. But here's the thing. They started playing with her car alarm at all hours of the nights, 4.30, and kept starting the car at 7, at 7 o'clock a.m. Melinda eventually had to go on social media and was like, leave us alone. She started feeling anxious and stressed. She didn't know who was doing this and why this was happening, but she felt that they were being stalked. So what they did, they continued to report it to the police, and the police only told them that they couldn't do anything about it. They literally were begging the police to do something, to come out and see and look around, and they just didn't. So on October 19, 2017, Jeffrey Scullin, he reported somebody was trying to break in the home. He was at the house by himself. He said he caught a hand grabbing the patio door and trying to slide it open. They couldn't get it open all the way because there was a bat right there. And he said when he jumped up to run towards the door that the people ran off. So they called the police. The police came out to check out everything, but there was no evidence to support his story. So now Melinda went to Twitter and she wrote on her Twitter page, getting on first name basis with Strongsville Police Department. Please tell the people trying to break into my home. I don't have any valuables, but the harassment didn't stop. Nails were found in Bruce's tires. They put up cameras around the house, but of course, later they found that the cords have been cut. So on October 23rd, 2017, the family made plans to meet at Applebee's where Anna worked at as a waitress five days before the wedding. This was when the Paleskeviches were supposed to meet up with Jeffrey's parents, particularly Jeffrey's mom. Jeffrey told Melinda that and the rest of the family that his mom was going to pay back Melinda the $6,500 that she paid for for the venue for the wedding because his credit card got declined at least 14 times by the venue. So this was the actual time for the two families to meet. Jeffrey's mom was going to pay Melinda back 
and everybody was going to get acquainted. Unfortunately, things didn't happen that way. Early that day, Bruce received a text from Melinda telling him to meet her at the brew kettle. He thought that it was kind of strange because they were just there the day prior, but he went there anyway to meet Melinda. He received that text at 4.25 p.m. So Bruce sat there and waited for Melinda to show up, and she never showed up. So he decided to just go on to Applebee's as planned, thinking that Melinda would show up there. Shortly after Bruce arrived at the Applebee's, Jeff arrived with the baby. So while Bruce and Jeff were sitting there waiting for Melinda to show up, Bruce was constantly texting Melinda, but there was no answer. So when Melinda didn't show up, Bruce just thought that she was running late because that's what she do. She had Kyle. Melinda was a pillar of the community. So it was a chance that she saw somebody that they wanted to talk and she got hung up talking to somebody. That would have been real normal for Melinda. So now one hour passed and still no Melinda. No response to the call, no response to the texts, and she just never showed up at Applebee's. And now Bruce is worried. He had to finish up and he really wanted to go home. So when Bruce and Jeff were leaving, Jeff asked Bruce to follow him to the gas station and watch the baby while he go inside and pay for gas. Bruce said, okay, hurry up. Jeff goes in and he pays for the gas, but it seemed like he was taking his sweet time to do everything. Bruce said in retrospect, he felt that he was trying to be stalled by Jeff because Jeff knew that he was in a hurry and he wanted to get home, but he didn't really let it get to him. So Bruce and Jeff got home and they noticed that Melinda's car was still in the driveway and some lights was on inside. So now they're trying to get into the house and they find that all of the doors, including the garage door, were all locked from the inside. And they're banging on the door because they, they saw the car, Melinda's car is there, so they're banging on the door and ultimately, Kyle had to come and unlock the door for them. Soon as they entered the home, Bruce said he noticed it was real silent. They heard Kyle go back to his room and do what normally Kyle normally does, but they didn't hear Melinda. Once they got further into the home and walked past the kitchen, Bruce noticed Melinda was face down on the floor in a pool of blood and was not moving. Jeff grabbed Kyle and grabbed the baby, went outside to call 911. Okay, I'm gonna send, I'm gonna send medics, don't hang up. Is she conscious, do you know? 
While Jeff was outside making that 911 call, he literally had to grab Kyle to keep him from going back into the home. Kyle didn't know the gravity of the situation of what was going on. Coroner's report shows that Melinda was shot three times and stabbed at least 30 times in the back. The detective said that it seemed to be so brutal to be a simple breaking and entry and a robbery. The wounds were indicative to a crime of passion. Police had to get a warrant for the family's vehicles, questioned everybody, and on October 28, 2017, instead of Anna and Jeff getting married as planned on that day, Anna was at her mom, Melinda Peleskovich's funeral, while Jeff served as a pallbearer along with Bruce. And after the funeral, the family just went back to the home to the place where they used to call home because it didn't feel like a home anymore. It was like a huge void. The family found themselves sleeping in the living room together because they just couldn't get comfortable. Every time a car pulled up in the driveway, Kyle was expecting it to be Melinda pulling up. He just didn't feel the gravity of what was going on. A few days later, on October 31st, 2017, the police showed up at the house to make an arrest on suspicion of murder. They found a knife with blood on it in Jeffrey Scullin's truck, so they arrested Jeffrey Scullin for suspicion of murder. Once they took Jeff in, it didn't take long for the truth to come out. Okay, so she's in your room. She finds the gun that ultimately was used, that, that was used in the shooting. She found the knife, she found the knife because it was with the gun. She found a, a paternity test. Okay. 
But the paternity just shows that you're the father. Okay. And, and you are the father? Okay, good. Good. So something happened where she went, she must have left, ran. Maybe she, she must have threatened you. She must have did something because she, she was ultimately, uh, you know, injured in the back. Okay. So maybe they came from the front. I'm, I'm not, that's up to you. That's what I want to find out from you. But it sounds like she finds the gun, she gets upset, she finds the, you know, the knife's there, she's concerned about this paternity test, and this creates a lot of anger in you, as you said, it makes me mad, and, you know, maybe you, maybe you grabbed the gun and then it went off, is that what happened? times do you remember shooting him? I grabbed the gun, it went off. You know what, we're still, we're still not addressing the same issue of why. What was the reason for that? That's what I want to understand. That's what we we need to let Aurora know. Tell me about the 
What happened with the knife? Was you still so mad that I don't I don't know that, that that's what I don't understand. Well typically what that psychologically represents is a lot of anger and frustration. After being shown the bloody knife with his DNA on it, he admitted that him and Melinda got into an argument about a gun that she found in his room. So basically, he's saying that Melinda went down in the basement, she found the paternity test, saw that it said that there's a 99.9% .9 chance that Jeff is the father of her grandbaby. She got upset and started hollering at Jeff and said that you're not the father, you're not the father. She also found the gun and the knife, and now she's pointing the gun to his feet yelling at him saying the baby isn't yours the baby isn't yours even though he just said that she found the paternity test saying that the baby is his and when he grabbed the gun out of her hand the gun went off three times and he didn't know it was loaded and he has no memory of stabbing her so when they asked jeffrey scullin where the gun was that he shot melinda with he told him it was in his Buick LeSabre in his parents' driveway, along with a pair of bloody sweatpants that he had on during the murder. Family and friends were shocked when they found out about this. Jeffrey Scullin had a million-dollar bond, and he sat in jail for a year before his trial came up. His trial was finally set for October 18, 2018, almost the year to the day that he murdered Melinda Peleskovich. At first, he was pleading not guilty, but when they started to choose the jurors, he changed this not guilty plea to no contest. Jeffrey Scullin said that he was coerced to confess by the police because they told him that he would never see his daughter again. He also said that he'd just rather not go to trial to save the family for any more heartbreak. Thank you, Your Honor. Had this case proceeded to trial, the state would have presented evidence that on the afternoon of October the 23rd, 2017, Melinda Pleskovic, the victim in this case, was murdered while inside her home in Strongsville, Cuyahoga County, Ohio. Ms. Pleskovic was shot three times and stabbed 36 or 37 times. The evidence would have shown that around 8 o'clock p.m. that night, the victim's husband, Bruce, arrived home to find her body. Also with Bruce was the defendant in this case, Jeffrey Scullin who was engaged to Ms. Pleskovic's daughter, Anna. The evidence would have shown that police responded to the scene and obtained a search warrant for the Chevy Silverado truck that the defendant was driving on that night. That search yielded a knife in the back seat of the truck. The field test of the knife showed human blood on the blade and subsequent DNA testing of that knife revealed both the defendant's DNA on the handle and the victim's blood on the blade. At that time, Detective Stoltz obtained an arrest warrant for the defendant. He was arrested at the Strongsville Police Department on October the 31st, 2017. During questioning that night, and again the following day, he gave a full confession to killing Melinda Pleskovic on the night of October the 23rd. The defendant also told the police the location of the second murder weapon, which was a 357 caliber revolver. He told police that he had put the revolver inside a black backpack that was inside a Buick LeSabre that he was driving during that week and that was present in the driveway of his parents' home at the time. He signed a written consent form authorizing police to search that Buick LeSabre, which they did, and discovered the black backpack in the backseat area containing the 357 revolver. 
Subsequent DNA testing on the revolver showed the defendant's DNA on the handle of that gun. Subsequent ballistics testing of that gun showed that the gun was a match to the bullets that were fired at the crime scene. And also inside the back seat of the car were the clothes that the defendant was wearing on the night of the murder that were stained with the victim's blood. With respect to the tampering with evidence count, the evidence would have shown that Detective Stoltz had previously examined the interior of the Buick LeSabre on October the 27th. At that time, the vehicle was empty, and the black backpack, and the gun, and the clothes were not there. And this means the defendant hid those items inside the LeSabre at some point between October the 27th and October the 31st. GPS data from the defendant's cell phone showed that he was in the vicinity of the Pleskovic home until 5.37 p.m. on the day of the murder. At that time, the GPS data showed the defendant's phone moving from the Pleskovic home to head west on Drake Road towards the home of his aunt. The phone did not ping to the cell tower nearest his aunt's home until between 5.55 and 6.22 p.m. And this contradicted the defendant's initial statement to police that he left for his aunt's home shortly after three o'clock. The evidence would have shown that the defendant did told police that his car broke down on the way to his aunt's home. He claimed that he stopped at a get-go gas station on Drake and Pearl Roads and got $6 worth of gas from a Good Samaritan. Detective Stoltz reviewed surveillance video from that get-go gas station and learned that the defendant was never there on that day. Additionally, the defendant's aunt said that he did not arrive at her home until six o'clock, which would have contradicted the defendant's claim that he arrived around 4.30. The evidence would have shown that the defendant kept both guns and knives inside the home, the Pleskovic home where he lived, but the particular weapons that he used to kill Melinda Pleskovic were kept in the basement. Ms. Pleskovic was killed in the kitchen on the ground floor of her home, so the defendant would have had to go to the basement to retrieve those weapons and bring them back to the kitchen to commit the murder. The evidence would have shown with respect to the making false alarms count that on October the 19th, 2017, the defendant called 911 and made a false report that someone had tried to break into the Pleskovic home. He said that he heard a noise coming from the sliding glass door at the back of the home and saw a hand reaching inside of the door. He said that the dog, Moose, ran to the door. He said that he opened the sliding glass door and saw a man running away through the backyard. He said that the man became caught on the dog leash on the patio and knocked down all of the lawn chairs as he fled. He described the man as wearing black mesh sweatpants with white stripes and a blue Hollister hoodie. Detective Stoltz also reviewed surveillance footage from a camera on a nearby structure that was pointed at the back of the Pleskovic home, and that video revealed that no one came to the back door on October the 19th, and the incident that the defendant described simply never occurred. This would have been relevant to show not only the count of making false alarms, it also would have been relevant to show the existence of prior calculation and design with respect to count one. Bruce Pleskovic, when he called 911 upon finding his wife's body, referenced burglaries in the area as who he believed initially committed the murder. Bruce told police in subsequent interviews that people had been breaking into the home, stealing money, stealing things from his car, stealing car keys, setting off car alarms in the driveway, and that all these things started happening when the defendant moved into the house. The evidence would have shown that this was a part, pattern of pre-planned behavior by the defendant to make people think that there was a rash of burglaries in the neighborhood weeks in advance of the murder. 
Finally, the evidence would have shown that the defendant was engaged to the victim's daughter, Anna Pleskovic. They were supposed to get married on Saturday, October the 28th, five days after the murder, at the Skyview Lodge at Brunswick. The defendant's credit card was declined 14 times in terms of paying for that venue. So the Skyview Lodge sent an email to Melinda Pleskovic on October the 18th saying that they were going to have to cancel the wedding because the defendant had not paid for the venue. Anna Pleskovic called the Skyview Lodge that same day and said that the defendant and his mother were coming to the Skyview Lodge on October the 22nd, the day before the murder, to pay for the wedding. That did not happen, and the evidence would have shown that Melinda intended to confront the defendant about that fact that particular weekend. Finally, with respect to the, Tampa, sorry, the child endangering count, the evidence would have shown that the defendant's 15-month-old daughter was present with him at the home when he committed the murder by firing three gunshots at Melinda in close quarters, and that this recklessly created a substantial risk to that child's safety. Thank you. Thank you. On that day, Jeffrey Scullin was found guilty and later sentenced to 36 years to life. Before we go on to the sentencing, I really do want y'all to hear the victim statements that her family wrote. And this is what the judge said before sentencing him. Thank you. The court accepts your plea, but based upon the information stated on the record that the state uh, was prepared to uh, prove at trial, the court does find you guilty on all of those counts, including the, the victim, Melinda Pleskovic, just 49 years old, was savagely murdered by you, Mr. Scullin, in the kitchen of her home, which she had generously made your home. You shot her three times and stabbed her a minimum of 35 times. You did so while her son, Kyle, who has Down syndrome, must have been or was in the home. You did so with your own daughter and her granddaughter, Aurora, close by. Then you had the audacity to sit down for dinner with her husband, Bruce, at Applebee's where their daughter, Anna, worked. Then you returned to the scene of your vicious crime and allowed Bruce to go into the home that he shared with his wife and children and find his wife on the kitchen floor in a pool of blood. You served as a pallbearer at Melinda Pleskovic's funeral, knowing that you were the person responsible for inflicting upon her loved ones and many friends all of the pain, shock, sorrow, and heartache they were experiencing and continue to experience a year after you murdered her. Melinda, or Mel, as she was known to many, was the beloved wife of Bruce, mother to three children, Megan, Anna, and Kyle, and the grandmother of your own daughter, Aurora. She was a teacher for 27 years and a family member, colleague, friend, and matriarch or mom of what I understand was an extended soccer family. I did receive 51 impact, victim impact statements to include those from her husband, her two daughters, sister, 
brother, nephew, great-nephew, mother-in-law, brother-in-laws, nieces, her second parents as they were known, colleagues, friends, soccer friends, and students and students' parents. I read each and every one of those letters, and the words used to describe Mel include, and I've taken these directly from those letters, awesome teacher, amazing friend, the rock that held her family together, very special, fun, selfless, beautiful with a caring spirit, an inspiration to others, smiling and welcoming, a natural with kids, the most inclusive person, always welcoming, a coach, a role model, had an infectious laugh, patient, a mentor, a great teammate, the go-to person, truly amazing, passionate, a motivator, supportive. She opened her home to others. She was warm-hearted. She was a take-charge kind of person. She deeply cared about others. She was always prepared, never afraid to set you straight, the heart of her family, a shining light, best friend, sounding board, and caretaker. There is no doubt that Mel's family and friends miss her terribly, and they continue to suffer each day because of your highness actions. They do not understand how you could have killed this wonderful woman who opened her home to you and helped you. As you said, she was like a mother to you and your relationship with her facilitated the offense. Since Mel's murder, they created a championship cup called the Mel's Cup for the soccer team. Anna, her daughter, she's actually um, walking in her mom's footsteps because she became a soccer coach as well. I didn't really see any updates about Megan, Kyle, or Bruce, but this family is tight and they're strong. So I'm pretty sure that they're doing okay. They're functioning. But I really do feel for this family. They were doing a good thing by allowing somebody into their home for a good reason, but it just so happens that this person happened to be a cancer to their family. And it really sucks that that he ruined, he literally ruined and traumatized so many people in one swoop. Melinda Peleskovich is currently buried in Strongsville Cemetery in Strongsville, Ohio. And I'll be linking her Find a Grave page in the show notes so we all can sign her Find a Grave page. As we conclude this unsettling chapter in the story of Melinda Peleskovich, the echoes of that tragic October day lingers on. The loss of the beloved teacher, the betrayal within family ties, and the scars left on a tight-knit community. In revisiting this somber tale, we reflect on the enduring impact of such a senseless act and hope for healing in the aftermath. Join me as I remember Melinda and acknowledge the importance of fostering empathy, resilience, and unity in the face of unimaginable adversity. All right, Donuts, that's the end of this episode. Melinda Peleskovich, 
I hate that this happened, this family. You could tell that they are just so trusting. And they're a good family, it seems like. So make sure you go into the show notes and sign or find a grave page. If you're new to the podcast and you enjoyed what you heard, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. If you are the type of person that enjoys to match the face to the story that you're listening to, connect to the podcast on Instagram at Podcast. That's also where you can send case suggestions if you have some. I need case suggestions because when I go looking for these episodes, I be falling into these wormholes. Oh my goodness. You go on there and start looking for one case and next thing you know, 12 others pop out on me. So yeah. All right now, don't forget to stay safe, stay vigilant, and always, always, always trust your instinct. It's always talking to you. Well, mine is always talking to me, or is it the voices that I hear? I don't know. All right, y'all. That he's innocent, that he's willing to serve time for the sake of the family? Well, yes. Um, there is a, a lot of very sensitive material that would be coming out of trial. A lot of material that could be embarrassing to multiple people, um, not just my client. Uh, he does have a young child with, uh, with obviously the victim's family, and he's not interested in inflicting pain when he believes that he has solid legal issues that will uh, eventually clear him.